Welcome to the Stargate Archives, buried deep within Cheyenne Mountain. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Stargate Archives. This week, I'm joined by first-timer on this version of our Stargate podcast. He has been on the Gatecast before, way back when. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thank you. Hello, everyone. <laughs> I begged, I did, I begged. <laughs> yeah, the check is in the mail, right? Exactly. Yes. I, I went on our Facebook page, I said, so, who, who wants to record with me? And nobody answered. <laughs> I was depressed for at least 30 seconds. And then he thought, I know someone who probably isn't doing anything. Exactly. And thankfully, I've also got somebody for the next episode as well. So <laughs> we're back on track again. <laughs> this week's episode. Oh, we are going to be introduced to one of the greatest characters Stargate has ever offered the viewing public. A certain Braytac in the episode Bloodlines. One of the reasons why I was surprised nobody actually even made inquiries about doing this episode because it's Braytac. What is wrong with people? I know. And not just not just Braytac. Braytac's debut. Yeah, yes. Although you do get Ryak as well, which takes some of the giant off it. Yeah. <laughs> oh well. We'll get started then, shall we? Sounds like a plan. It does. So Bloodlines. It was written by well, I say the story was by Mark Saracini until he played by Jeff King. Jeff King, I thought, that, that rings a bell. A quick look on, on his IMDb. I thought, oh yeah, white collar, due south, blind spot. Very, very prolific producer and writer. Done the odd one or two things then. Oh yes, he has. This episode was directed as well by Mario Azapardi. Five episodes of SG-1, four of Atlantis. Uh, in his time, has uh, done a lot of Highlander and The Flash. The uh, 90s version, not the current one. Added to a list of things that need watching. Yes. <laughs> that list seems to get bigger before it gets smaller. I was complaining only probably last month that I'd run out of things to watch, and all of a sudden I've got a backlog about 20 episodes of new shows starting. <laughs> uh, be careful what you wish for. Exactly. Okay, Bloodlines opens up. We see a space tent, tent from another world. Priest, Tilk, a young boy, symbiote, some strange funky music in the background. This looks very strange opening. Yeah, the phrase dodgy kind of, you don't want to say, but it's sort of sat there begging to be said. <laughs> like, Tilk, buddy, what you doing? What you been taking? What was that white powder? <laughs> yeah, I don't think that was talcum powder, Tilk. <laughs> Tilk is definitely not having a very good time. And of course, it's revealed that he's in the middle of surgery. They've been attempting to remove his symbiote, Junior, didn't quite go according to plan. Janet seems a little a little let down. She wasn't successful this time. But on the plus side, she's at least stopped calling him Mr. Tilk. Oh, yes. That was beautiful, that was. I love that. Made so much better by Daniel's reaction to it. <laughs> yeah. Tilk. It's only polite, isn't he? It's only polite, you know, you address somebody with that honorific until you know better. He hasn't got a rank or anything. Right, we jump to the credits and come back to a brief shot of the SGC. Then we're inside the briefing room. Janet is there again. They're talking about getting a, a symbiote for the... Well, I put in my notes CIA. They actually say Langley, which I assume they're referring to the CIA rather than Area 51, which is introduced later in the series. Do you think they were sort of sat there at one point and just thought, we're doing a science fiction, this modern-day science fiction show? How can we not actually have Area 51 as a thing? I mean, come on, where, seriously, where are we going to send all the crap we bring back on the rare occasions we actually bring something back that isn't gold guns? It was ready-made, wasn't it? This, this Stargate is perfect because it's set. It's our universe in our time. You've got all the, all the legends, all the myths surrounding Area 51, and you've got the super-secret project in Cheyenne Mountain, which, while there are public... or there were public tours probably didn't go in all the critical places. Probably a lot of things there that the public never saw. So, yeah, it was ideal. They probably left off the room with the Stargate. Yes. What's behind that big door? Yeah, that's just storage closet. No, that, see, that was the key. There was nothing behind the big door. It was that little door next to it. Ah! <laughs> Fell for the misdirection. Damn it! 
Yeah. So they're having a heartfelt chat around the brief room table. Janet is looking very casual. You know, it seems a bit strange. Air here rivals Daniel's in waviness. Yeah, someone went OTT on the conditioner there, didn't they? <laughs> the general doesn't seem too happy, but... That is sort of Hammond for the first half of season one. Yes, I don't think he really knows. To be honest, he wasn't really geared up for this whole in-command of one of the most super-secret American military installations on the planet. He was just assigned to this to mothball it and wrap everything up, close it down. And then retire. Woohoo! With his grandkids, and something went wrong. In the... Yeah, it's, it's just, it does. I mean, bless him, you, you cannot not love Hammond. It does take him a while to pull that stick out of his ass. Well, give anybody enough time around Jack O'Neill. Well, but I say, if they're either going to relax or they are going to have some kind of episode. Yeah. Side note, I think Bauer would have been in the episode. <laughs> Assuming he hasn't blown something up. Yeah. Like himself. Tilt jams up. There are lava on Julak. It's the way he suggests we could just go to Julak. You know, like he suggested going down to the corner shop to buy milk. Yeah, very casual. It's a trait of Tilt. Like he's slowly starting to drop these very useful bits of information into conversations. He doesn't offer it up very often. Give him an opening, though. He'll go for it. If I say, Tilt's one of those, he doesn't speak often. When he does speak, kind of have to listen. Yeah. Partly because you're terrified there might be a quiz afterwards, and if you haven't been listening, he might hurt you. <laughs> because he does carry a very big stick. And also his arms are probably about as wide as my entire body. <laughs> All right, so uh, the meeting breaks up. Jack goes to Tilt's quarters sometime later. Lots of candles. We've got the funky music again. Maybe this is a bit early to say he's in his Kalnor Reem, but he's meditating at the very least. Sort of Kelnarine before we decide to give it a fancy name. That's it, yeah. <laughs> they they realise, hey, this could always be a very good way to introduce Tilk in any scene. Easy to set up, pretty quick. How quick can you light? 30 candles. Not, not a problem, we can do it, no problem. And we, get, we finally get revelation that he's got a son and a wife. Or a wife and a son, whichever way you want to take it. Jackie's rather surprised, you know, you were, you were asked specifically, have you got any ties back to Julak? And you said no. You lied to O'Neill and you lied. There are people within the US military, use that as an excuse to put you on the slab and start cutting into you. I mean, it's not a good idea to lie on forms when you're applying for high-level security sensitive jobs in the US military. Mm-mm. That's the sort of thing that will come back and bite you. Tilk reveals that his son is due to be implanted with a symbiote. He isn't very happy about this. He Obviously, he wants the opportunity to do something about this. We jump to the briefing room. Well, the general pretty much says, absolutely not. That's the end of the discussion, if you look at General Hammond's stance. I do love that thing with Hammond, though. It's like, you know, that's it. No, unless you want to tell me what this is really about. He doesn't take anything at face value. No. And he's also really good. His bullshit-ometer is very finely tuned. Because even even in sort of Children of the Gods, he knows O'Neill's not told him everything about the original mission. No. It's like, yeah, you know, we can... Straight away. We can send... We'll just send the bomb through because, you know, you've told us everyone on the other side is dead. Unless, of course, there's anything you want to add to that report. <laughs> yeah, I'm giving you the chance. Level with me before this gets serious. Mm-hmm. Which I think is why we probably never saw the poker scene from season 10 with Hammond. Because Hammond will just wipe the floor with all of them. There is no way you can bluff that man. Oh, Still the best thing from that episode is Landry and his duck caller. <laughs> I know a lot of people didn't like Landry, mainly because he wasn't General Hammond. But there are things that actor could do that Don S. Davis really wasn't equipped for. And the writers weren't willing to write for him. I mean, one of the things I liked about Landry was he wasn't O'Neill. Yeah. Hammond would have been an impossible act to follow anyway. Promoting O'Neill, I understand the logic of it. O'Neill did not work in the head honcho role. O'Neill's not the person that gives the orders for other people to go and have fun. He's the one that goes out and has the fun. Hence why half of season eight was engineering situations where either bad stuff is happening inside the SGC or... Yet another reason why O'Neill has to go off-world. Well, yeah. When he turned up in Atlantis, all of a sudden you went, this is the way it's always meant to be. It's the same situation in Atlantis when they put Carter in charge. Mm. 
doesn't work having someone who's been out and doing all of a sudden sidelined. Yeah. You need to write a character and get an actor for that role. That means you may only see him two minutes per episode. Hmm. Or five minutes here, missed a couple of episodes, ten minutes there. Woolsey worked for that. Yes. I'd like to say, I mean, Hammond was perfect for it because whenever he was on screen, he was such a big character. Mm. He was totally unforgettable. So I kind of I kind of like Landry on the basis. It was basically they were doing General Hammond without basically making him seem like Hammond light. Yeah. I'm not sure he would have worked right on the heels of Hammond. But I think because we had that iffy season with O'Neill as boss, going to Landry was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> it's like, yeah, OK, it means we've got significantly less Richard Dean Anderson, which goes without saying is bad. But, you know, we've got someone in the head honcho role that makes sense. And you've given us Ben Browder. And at the end of the day, it's Bo Bridges. True. And granted, he's, he's no Jeff Bridges. And neither of them are, are Lloyd Bridges, but damn good actor to have on your TV show. There's something about him that when you're sort of watch, when you're sort of watching him, you sit and you think, is he actually acting or is he actually an Air Force general on the side? <laughs> well, I suppose that's the best, the biggest compliment, isn't it? It hmm. looked as if you weren't acting. Right. So uh, the general, you know, looks at Jack, join me in my office. Uh, they close the door and straight away, <laughs> this is not my first barbecue. <laughs> you think, oh right. <laughs> you think if the, if this was HBO. That probably been a more colourful phrase, but we get the point. Yeah. Pretty much decided that Tilt can't go can't go back here. He knows too much about the SGC. It looks suspicious. He lied. While they're having the discussion, Tilk is taking matters into his own hands. You know it's not good when Tilk has donned the full Jafar armour. That was good of him to let him keep that in his own room. Well, so maybe he had to sign something for it. Yeah, or they took it to analyse and realised that it's bloody useless armour. So they gave it him back. Yeah, it's like, wow, the highly advanced space aliens have got armour that isn't bulletproof? So there's nothing we can learn from this. I mean, the hat's useful, but, you know. <laughs> Take these cotton leggings, less chafing. Just <laughs> use you to something, Tilk. Called a flak jacket. Yes, and this area, you can have anything you, you want printed on it. Oh, now I've just got this wonderful image of him in, like, a swap fest on the back. It just says, Jafar. <laughs> I think it was Castle when he donned his for the first time. He had writer on it. Yes. <laughs> right. So yeah, Tilk is in the dial. You know, in the control room, dialing Chulak. There are guards there. They are armed. They're serious. The general does his own usual, where he's winding everybody up. You think? You think? Is he having too much fun? Because, like I said, in many times he's already made up his mind what he's going to do anyway. Yeah. He's going through the motions, putting you in your place, because ultimately he gives in. You know, he's, he's just a big softie at heart. You know, you, you are going back, but with help. Mm. So we jump to the gate room on the ramp. Everybody's in fancy dress. <laughs> that shows them they actually went off world and they retained some of the kit they had with them. You would hope there's a storage room in the SGC with a thousand staff weapons. You never leave anything behind because it could come in useful. For the first few seasons... Staff weapons and zap guns are about the only thing they ever seem to bring back. Yeah. You're getting supplies ready when you're shipping off to Atlantis. Why are we not taking zap guns with us? Yeah, they would have been ideal. I can understand not taking the staff weapons. They are a bit on the bulky side. The zap guns fit in your pocket. There are any number of armourers that could come up with a holster for a zap gun without it being on your arm. You know, Stargate proves. We first get Zat guns in sort of season one finale and season two premiere. Come the next episode, they're standard kit. Yeah. With, you know, the nice specially designed holsters on the side that clearly would not fit any kind of handgun on Earth. <laughs> Yet they really would come in handy. They don't have one. When the plot requires them to be captured, <laughs> they haven't got an easy way out. Ah, damn it. Right, so Tilk is in his full armour. The rest of SG-1 are in priest robes. Daniel still has his glasses on. It's pointed out to the fact that he's still got his glasses on. And they go through the gate. You would have thought someone says, look, Daniel, if you're serious about being on the front-line team, and I suggest if you're not willing to have corrective surgery, can I point you in the direction of contact lenses? Yeah. Far, far more practical. 
but that's his, that's his look, isn't it? That is the Daniel Jackson we're we're familiar with from the movie. Mm. It takes a while before Michael Shanks moves away and kind of makes a character his own, but the glasses are kind of required. Well, so I think that's everyone's first reaction in, I don't know, season two finale. Is it out of mind? Yeah. When, you know, he first opened up his sort, his sort of cryo tube and the first thing you see is the first look at short-haired Daniel and you're like, what the hell happened to you? <laughs> My God, the aliens cut your hair. Why? Fiendish. I don't think he's Samson. I don't think his strength is in his hair because, let's be honest, he's, he hasn't started buffing up just yet. Well, could you imagine if after Ben Sisko shaved his hair and grew his facial hair, they actually reversed it for a later season? You know, everybody died of shock. Because once that happened, once, the, you know, he turned into Hawk from Spencer for Hire, that was it. Well, but I say, wasn't that actually Avery Brooks's actual look? Yes. And I yeah. think they actually said to him at the beginning of DS9, look, can you grow your hair out for us? It gave him a much softer, more thoughtful, less intimidating look. Mm. I mean, if it was planned long-term that way, that at some point you will go back to looking like that for a visual impact to the story, that was that would have been genius. I don't think it was done deliberately. I think it just got to the point where Avery Brooks said, I'm not going to do this anymore. Yeah, I've been in this show long enough and you can't get rid of me. <laughs> yeah, people know I'm the boss. You're not gonna, And you're not going to recast me because that won't work. And really, who are you going to replace me with? That's a good point. <laughs> but I tell you what, it was really weird for me because I sort of started on all the Star Trek somewhat slightly later than you were supposed to. Yeah. I jumped into DS9 in season four. Okay. So I jumped in with Captain Sisko, bald, beard. So you just assume that's how he always looked. So there's me, come around, you know, you know, doing catch up. Oh, I'll buy Emissary on video. Put that in. The hell is this? <laughs> You're not Sisko. Yeah, you look at him and think, is that the same bloke? Really? I mean, your rank's all wrong, for starters, and you've got hair on the top of your head when you shouldn't, and there's... That... What are you doing to me? <laughs> Again, an- another one of the beauties of having brand new Star Trek and in time, and brand new Stargate. The entire fan base can watch it at the same time. Mm. Although, in Stargate's terms, it'll be over very, very quickly. Yeah, you might not be watching it for long, Ten minutes per week for ten weeks? Yes. <laughs> uh, thank you, MGM. Right, so we're on Tulak. They come through the gate and there are some guards and a head priest. He commands them that they can't really go any further till out of my way, priest. You know, why doesn't your helmet come off? Insolent fool. And then, oh, you are very, you know, conscientious. You will be rewarded. And the priest kind of, you know, is cowed. I'll mention your name to Apophis. Priest thinking. <laughs> Oh, yes. Finally. I've been noticed. And then think about it. It may not always be a good thing. No. <laughs> now, under the circumstance, you do not want your name being mentioned to a office in this case. No. Especially not after the fact. Uh, you let them in. I think after the fact, a office was just sat there. OK, who was on gate duty? <laughs> Come on. One of you were. I know you. Who was it? Right. So uh, we get a nice panning shot away from the gate. One of the more unique gate locations where it's surrounded by a huge spiral of stones. Looks pretty impressive, but in essence it's just you know an old old quarry with some standing stones, probably uh, polystyrene at that. Looks nice from a distance though. They quickly make it to the forest where they ditch all the disguises, change back into the normal gear. Can't help but feel this is probably a little premature. Why not stay disguised for as long as possible? Although, having said that, for O'Neill, Carter and Daniel, the usual look in the forest is actually probably less conspicuous. Because the green probably blends in a lot better than the dirty white robe. Yeah. But then next thing we see, they're walking along a path. Damn it, foiled again. And we see burnt down structure. Hill seems upset. He runs towards the house. He goes to the side of it. And he falls to his knees. I'm waiting. Come on, Charlton Eston moment. Come on. Well, he probably hasn't watched it yet. And we see a symbol painted into this burnt house. Damn, Tulak gangs, they've tagged it. <laughs> yeah. Was, was here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we learn that this was Tilk's home, given to him by Apophis, probably for his first prime. Although I've got to admit, it's a very small home for a preeminent warrior in Apophis's army. 
no gardens. There doesn't seem many neighbours around. Yeah, I would point out, though, look at Apophis's wardrobe. Yeah. <laughs> All that gold, not cheap. <laughs> He can't buy his snazzy disco armor if he's giving away all the money to, you know, have given the first prime nice place to live. Yeah, you got a gold emblem. What more do you want? Exactly. <laughs> and this, this is the thing about that scene that gets me is Tilk seems genuinely surprised that the house has been torched. And it's like, Tilk, you received the house as a reward for years of service. Did you honestly think that Apophis was going to let your wife and kids stay there after you turned on them? He knows what Apophis is like. He is vindictive. He's biteful. The very fact that he didn't execute him on the spot is pretty much of a miracle. Yeah, about to say, you know, you know, you wouldn't be entirely surprised if you found out. Yeah, Apophis actually bombed your house from space, laughing while he was doing it. He probably pushed the button himself. You know what? This episode might have been even better if they had a found they'd found one skeleton, his wife, in the remains. And Apophis has taken his son to raise and, you know, kind of brainwash mm. to be a, the ultimate warrior. Because no offence to either of the actresses that eventually played Tilk's wife, as a character, she was pretty much useless to the story as a whole. Yeah, Dreyuk's not one of the more useful characters, as is probably evidenced by the fact don't get a lot of screen time for her. No. We learn that the emblem painted on the house symbolises Shalvar, pronounce it as you will basically it translates as traitor a little over the top the fact that he burnt his house to the ground probably signifies it just as strongly i did think it was quite good you know the house has been torched and collapsed apart from the biggest wall possible for us to paint our nice great big you know grew you symbol on <laughs> you just imagine apophis coming to inspect the damage looking at his jafar who we gave the orders to and said i want one wall left standing who lit the torch Kill him. <laughs> Rebuild that wall. Yes, when I told you to raise the house to the ground, <laughs> I obviously meant for you to leave a big enough surface for me to paint the symbol on. Do I have to do everything myself? <laughs> and it's at this point we get the appearance of another Jafar warrior. The crowd goes wild. Brayjack. Woo! Big manly hugs all round. Right from the start, you realise that there is a long-standing bond between these two men. Mm. At this point, we really don't we, you know, we know nothing about it, but Tony Amendola, he, he pretty much steals the show from this moment on. I must say, I mean, for me, on the sort of recurring guest cast front, it's either going to have to go Tony Amendola as Braytac, or it's Carmen Argiano as Jacob. Yeah. Because both of those guys played their parts perfectly. You saw their names in the credits, you thought, yes. Yeah, because the writers knew the characters, they knew what they wanted each of them to do, excellent actors, and they, like I said, they had great scripts to work from. Mm. It was never a disappointment, as you say, to see the name in the credits. My first watch through, I didn't like Jacob start with yeah. in that very first episode. I don't think we were meant to like him as such, because anybody that somehow gets strange from a door to light, Samantha... You think there's some that's too wrong. Mm. So there's that. You you sort of initially... Mm, but then it's, hmm, how do we save Dad from dying? Oh, I know. How about we give him a Tokra symbiote? Yeah. Genius. And from then on, Jacob was just brilliant. Tilk is relieved, to say the least. He learns that his wife and son are safe. Braytac points out that he was very brave to return to Tulak. But it was rather unwise. Uh, he has a good look introduced to members of the SG-1. He is not impressed. Yeah, I about to say, it's safe to say he's not he's not doing backflips, is he? No, we, uh, well, you've got, you've got a weedy guy with some sort of glass on his eyes. You've got a woman and you've got, well, at least the other one looks a bit like a warrior. Although still a little weedy. <laughs> you can imagine Braytac's sort of thought process is like, Ew, 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 what have you done? I mean, I know what you've done, but... Really? These three? The best you could do? I'll let you get away with this one here, but... One over there with the floppy hair. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> What's the thing on his face? Well, that, that's the beauty. They they will learn a lot from each other as they go along. Hmm. I'm trying to remember the, the lie. 
Or is it when he looks like he's going to bite Daniel's wrist and tells him he could snap him like kindling? Yeah, that's it. Great act towards Jackson. And you, a warrior of great skill and cunning, grabs Jackson's arm and bites it. I could snap you like kindling. How could you bring these hassock with you? Then O'Neill, who are you calling a hassock? What's a hassock? Oh, you challenge me, Hassack? No. That's when we get like an older brother, you know, a couple of brothers having a little uh, little fight. Doesn't look too serious. Jack initially seems to have the edge on him. Of course, that's when we learn that Braytac's got a few years on him. I love that instant turnaround. O'Neill's all smug and happy that he's just floored Braytac, and Braytac's like, not bad. Over a hundred years younger, and O'Neill's like, you're over a hundred years old. <laughs> God, I'm sorry. <laughs> At which point you instantly think, oh, God, here we go. Uh, what do you say? You must work out. <laughs> Jack should know better. In making assumptions first to get into a fight with somebody whose capabilities he was unaware of, and then totally in a non-defensive posture, somebody lying on the ground and he gets taken down. He really should know better. If this yeah. guy trained then he's a warrior of very high calibre. And they know they live a long time. I was say, just the very fact he survived training Tilk, which means he survived sparring with Tilk. <laughs> so clearly we're not talking about an old codger here. It goes to show you, though, we are going to have fun with this character. Yes. Right, at this point, they decide to split up. Jack orders Sam and Daniel to go to the gate, set up a perimeter, wait for him for 24 hours, if not, gate back. What about any problems we're going to have? Cross that bridge when we come to it. Braytac chimes up. No, that's the wrong way. We're going the wrong way for across the bridge. The bridge is too heavily defended. Yeah. Oh, dear. I think I know who's in charge on this planet. You know, you're the visiting team, Jack. We jump to the woodlands, walking down a, a very well-trodden path. Obviously, get a lot of traffic. They're having a, a chat about who does Jack serve if he, they don't believe him, if they don't have the false gods. He says, I serve General Hammond. He's bold and from Texas, which becomes one of the best lines ever as an introduction from one major character to another. It's just something about Hammond, isn't it? You either get him as Hammond of Texas or, as it has to be said, the one in Hathor, which is like, you with a crown of marble. Yeah. And only was like, might mean you. Yeah. Because when Braytac meets him, he even makes a gesture on his head. Yes. <laughs> and it's that, look, it's that look to start with on Hammond's face where he's like, Should I be insulted? <laughs> oh, it was Jack, wasn't it? Like, O'Neill, I'm going to have words with you after. See me after class. And yet it's the greatest compliment, especially from Braytac, because mm. at that point, in a future episode, he respects the capabilities of SG-1 so much, that respect goes to their commander. Hmm. person they owe allegiance to. Yeah, He would take praise for the capabilities of the people he's trained. The respect is passed on. And as well, I think, in like, season eight, it's that when you've got that meeting, and it's just that nice little nod that sort of Braytac is acknowledging O'Neill as being the boss, when that one time he addresses him as O'Neill of Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. Which doesn't quite have the same ring to it. No, it doesn't, does it? You know what that means from Braytac. Yeah, place names, settlements, planets of origin seems to have a lot, seems to be more important in the Jafar community than it does on Earth. Mm. Of course, it's probably tied to whatever system lord you serve as well. Easily identify apart from the mark on your forehead. Kind of gives a game away at times. You know, it's, it's the sort of thing that stands against you in a lineup, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Imagine like a father taking his son to one side and Poffers, you know, served a Poffers. What made you have bowl symbol tattooed on your forehead, son? Oh, good idea at the time, was it? Were you drinking? Yes, you were, weren't you? Right, we're back in the woods again, but another part. Sam and Daniel, we see some priests. We hear some of the classic bong, bong in the distance. For a very high-tech civilization, they still retain many of the anachoristic... Anachoristic? <laughs> I'm thinking anachoristic. Anachorist. Can you say it? Anachronistic? That's it. There we go. Yeah, the old bells, you know, the horns, it seems a little out of place, and yet it works. Well, I think that's the thing, isn't it? Goa society, is, it's very much sort of 50-50 split. You know, the actual Goa world or the serving Jafar, yeah, you've got a fair amount of tech to work with. Everyone else is just pretty much, they do and mend, really. Yeah, they're always hoping for that 
little bump in pay grade so they can become middle management and have those little nice pieces of tech. Yep. One day, my son, if you keep working hard enough, that symbol that is currently drawn on your head with a black felt tip, <laughs> one day that might actually be silver or if you're really lucky, gold. Yeah, you'll be tied down, your skull will be sliced open and liquid metal will be poured into it. I know that doesn't sound like a good thing, but trust me, once the swelling <laughs> goes down... are fantastic. Swelling's gone down and you actually, you know, you've got feeling back, you'll be fine. <laughs> God, they far have got some screwed up ideas. <laughs> they do. Yes, they do indeed. Braytac, Tilk and Jack come upon a camp. Definitely, this is the outsiders camp, the those that have been are not allowed to live in the local village for whatever reason doesn't look particularly pleasant place to live it's interesting that it's allowed to exist seems out of place for the system lord to allow these people to exist must serve a purpose of some sort never know when you might need cannon fodder could be yeah that could be as simple as that yeah i kind of want to know what everyone else there has done to deserve being there or a bit like dreyak and ryak are they there not necessarily because they did anything but you know did they kind of all get screwed over by somebody else as well that could be it, yeah. You know, where you're tied to a family line that's been in disgrace, but you haven't done enough personally to be executed or whatever. I say, luckily, there is one tent just to one side, because even the outsiders don't want to live in with them. That's when you know you're bad, when you're the outsider among outsiders. Yes. The people, they're little afraid. Jafar warriors on the ridge above them, armed, never a good thing. Tilk immediately knows what's going on that tent my wife my son sprint man sprint shows you how light the armor is because he's scampering away oh yeah he's no stopping in this he's gone he bursts into the tent the priest is there words are exchanged fisticuffs knives things are getting smashed about the priest ends up dead with a knife through his heart the symbiote well that's nearly cutting off as well his son is okay though yay well, you say yay. Well, it, it's looking good for about five seconds until a hooded figure then leaps on Tilk's back and tries to strangle him. And it's Mrs. Tilk. I never bought her as being Tilk's wife. Unfortunately, <sighs> she was, to this day, she's always Alison from Eureka. I can't remember either of the actresses' names. And if I'd been halfway intelligent, I might have looked them up before, but I'm not, so I didn't. <laughs> so I kind of buy Dreyak number two as being his wife. Okay. I think it's because she's a little bit older, but I don't buy the original actress as being his wife. Sister-in-law, yeah. To be fair, even though she's an outsider, is living in this dirty camp, she's a spectacularly good-looking woman and provocatively dressed as well. She's got a nice short outfit on. She looks fantastic. You think, OK, this could be one of the perks. You are first prime. You are a good catch. You are marrying slightly above your level. Sally Richardson went on to bigger and better things. But again, they really never filled the character out enough to justify giving it to a you know a more well-known actress. I think the other thing that's really jarring with the recast is they haven't even tried to get a second actress that looks remotely like the first. No. It's like, are the Jafar like the Time Lords? Can they regenerate? <laughs> is that what's going on here? Because that's the only explanation I can think of. Well, okay, it's not the only explanation. The other explanation I can think of is that the casting department were just really not on the ball that day. Yeah, they'd forgotten they'd already cast the part once. It's like, um, you can almost see people sort of looking. Yeah, we've got, we found the new Ash, it's brilliant. You know, here's a picture, and you're looking at it thinking, which part did you have in mind? Oh, this is the new track. Did you watch the episode that Dreyak was in? Did you happen to notice what she looked like? Not even vaguely like this lady. I wonder if, to be honest, if many people could, you know, between the two episodes, if they remembered what she looked like anyway. This is true. The hardcore Stargate fan, probably, yes. Maybe, the, you know, re-watching it, buying, buying the early DVDs that were coming out. Three years difference. Maybe not so much, first appearance. Oh, no, only probably about two years difference. She's not one of the more... She's not exactly pivotal to, well, anything. No, very, very forgettable. You know, is evidenced by the fact she'll crop up once in season two and then nothing until season six when, you know, not getting any more appearances for you, Dreyak, because um, <clears throat> we need an excuse for Ryak to be pissy. Oh, dear. So, um, sorry, love, we're killing you. 
Initially, though, you wonder the relationship between Tilk and Dreyak. It, there doesn't seem to be any positive emotions there, even allowing for the fact that he really kind of dumped a ton of bricks on it when he scarpered. Yeah. And you wonder, did they have a warm relationship before? Just was it a marriage of convenience? Was it just a marriage because of status? You couldn't say at this point, I married you because of who you were, what you could give me, and that was it. It gets a lot warmer towards him at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. But still, you think, uh, you didn't really have to think too hard about leaving, did you, Tilk? The original actress, I wasn't, I really was not buying Hi, I'm Tilk's wife. As I say, angry sister-in-law, I could work with that. Again, yeah, that could have worked. Your wife died, you see. I had to look after your son. Now, that would make sense. Yeah, and that could have uh, allowed her to be really aggressive towards Tilk for the loss of a sister. You left me raising a boy that is my own. I had a good life now. I couldn't turn my back on Ryak, but his disgrace has, you know, hurt my relationship with my my side of the family. Many ways it could have gone. Mm. Right, brace yourself now. We get the view of the castle on Chulak. <laughs> Impressive stuff. And the very dodgy-looking altar at the base of some steps, which looks like the props guys have literally left it about five seconds before, hoping that the glue will hold. You can almost imagine sort of the night before. It's like, right, we're shooting this scene tomorrow. We've got everything. Yeah, we've got the location sorted. That's fine. Right, is the altar done? <laughs> um, uh, altar. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, that, that'll be ready. Yeah, not a problem. Yeah, come on, let's face it. They got an aquarium with an air filtrator for the bubbles. Surround it with painted plywood with a little diamond cut into it so you could see inside. There you go. Genius. Yeah. Not at all last minute. No. Now, this, you know, sort of cheap and cheerful was the look we were going for. Because, Lord knows, we're keeping our gods in it. We wouldn't want it to look, you know, impressive. That kind of trunk they're carrying on the poles and the chains looks more impressive. That actually looks like it's got a bit of weight to it. Apart from at one point, it does, I swear to God, I think one of those chains is going to snap. And the whole thing's just going to go <laughs> thunk. The lid's going to fall off. The symbiotes will fall out and then they'll just be flapping around like goldfish. Oh, so we're in trouble now. Oh my god. <laughs> Do we know who was in this one? Yeah, it's Apophis's mother, his grandmother, his <laughs> aunts, you know, all the close maternal relatives. I'll just jump off the cliff now, shall I? Might be, might be you might be alright. I think his mother-in-law might have been in there. So, you know, he'll thank you for that. Right, we jump back to the camp. Did you notice the shoulder symbol in wrought iron there as well? Yeah, they're really trying to hammer that one home there, aren't they? Yeah. You are here, you are bad. That looked impressive. But that's where all the money went. That's why the altar looked so shoddy. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, yeah. But was that there for Dreyak, or was it there because they consider them all to be traitors? I mean, is there a punishment within the Jafar community where you're kind of kicked out of, you know, the local community, and that's your punishment, rather than, you know, execution or just having your symbiote ripped out? There must be other crimes that would warrant it. Otherwise... That would mean everyone in that camp is related to a Jafar that said, you know what, we've been Muppets. In which case, the whole sort of Jafar nation would have had a hell of a kickstart. Yeah. Dreyak explains that Raya is actually sick. She had to plead and beg with the priest to actually perform the Primta uh, ceremony. Which explains the skimpy outfit. I was just wondering that as well. What lengths would she go? And I believe she would have to go to some lengths to get this done. Because the priest is probably saying, you know, Apophis would not approve of this, but you have got a discretion. I have got a little bit of discretion, if I can be convinced. And you are asking for a very big favour. We should probably steer well clear of that one. Ryak, he does wake. He is delighted to see his father. He doesn't look well. Jack, medicine man O'Neill, solid fever. You sure? Yeah. <laughs> I just happen to have in my vest here... Now, I know this looks like Lemsip, and in reality, it probably is. However, he does have some paracetamol, and it'll do him some good. Exactly. To be fair, they do say this isn't going to cure him. We need to get him back to the base, and hopefully the doc got some sort of inoculation or something. Yes, because I do love that most sort of tilts initially sort of, you know, don't care. I stopped my son being given a symbiote. All is good. Yeah, your son is dying. <laughs> he needs that symbiote. Yeah. Suddenly... You know, the idea of principle 
What's the Jafar word for shit? <laughs> this is good for Till. He's he's got his principles. This was my son is not going to suffer the same fate I have. You're denying him long life and extra strength, but he'll be free. My son will die free. Yeah, in about a week. Good one, Tilk. You're really doing the family proud. You betrayed Apophis. We had to go from our nice, comfortable home to this. And now you've basically signed your son's death warrant. And you wouldn't believe the things I had to do. What are you going to do next? Get drunk on the day of the funeral and bash into the tombstone and knock that over too? <laughs> uh, meanwhile, though, back at the altar, there are no guards, which seems bloody bizarre. Yeah, that sort of screams plot hole, doesn't it? Yeah, they could have left one where they distracted and overpowered. Just one. I mean, it's not, you know, I get the I'm sort of winning the argument, well, you know, who on the planet is going to want to steal a symbiote? Given the, that... The, Okra? Well, yeah, I mean, beyond anything, you know, the Tokra, any of the other system lords who don't like Apophis, so any of the other system lords. <laughs> yeah. You know, great big vat of symbiotes out in the open... I'd take a pot shot at it, why not? you got to laugh, though. Sam and Daniel walk up to it. Oh, yeah, yeah. we can get one of these. Take one back to Langley. Oh, fantastic. Got a flask. Oh, fortunate. Have you finished your coffee? Yeah, good. Feeling a bit squeamish. I'm thinking, why? At worst, it's like picking up a fish. But this is just an eel. And they go, OK, we can do this. On three. You sort of want to say, you sort of want to say, 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 look, Sam, Sam, Sam. You can stick your arm in there. It is not going to be able to burrow through your palm, <laughs> climb all the way up your arm, and get to your brain that way. And I don't think you have to worry about it biting. That we know of. Well, this is true. We are working on the assumption that they can only go in at the back of the neck at this point. Yeah, or some serious open wound. It looked like they were trying to, you know, just throw a bit of levity into the episode. You know, on three, one, two, three. Okay, on four. But they do finally get the, uh, the symbiote, get some of the fluid... And it has to be said, I do love the look on Amanda Tapping's face during that scene. Because <laughs> that is very obvious. She is not enjoying it. It's like, oh, it's not good. What exactly did you put on these things? You don't want to know. You just sort of, you know, she's waiting for them to yell cut. So she can just go, ew, 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 ew. <laughs> right, Daniel, on the other hand. Daniel is looking speculative. It's never good when Daniel's thinking. Especially when he's armed. Daniel's definitely got that look in his eye, you know, he's, he's going to take vengeance. The children, they're innocent. No, they're not, because they've got the genetic memory of the gold. They are not born innocent and become evil. They are born that way. They are born with the traits of ego, maniacs, sociopaths. There's no ifs or buts. Every one of these will take a life and probably kill more as they continue to exist. I cannot fault Daniel for what he does. I would worry about the strategic element of firing a gun that close to the castle. Mm -hmm. Makes him feel better, so go for it. I think that's the thing as well, sort of, you know, every one of these guys will, you know, will take a human hose, probably, I was thinking. Yeah, and you'll be honest, Daniel, you're going to do this, so we all know you're going to do this. So let's be honest about your motives. You're not thinking about all of the people that will be taken as hosts. You're thinking about one person that hasn't been taken. Not maybe we'll be generous, we'll say two people that have been taken as hosts. Yeah. I always forget Skara. Before he crops up again in the season finale, it's all about Sharae, not so much about Skara. And even then, Daniel forgets he's married half the time anyway. Yeah, didn't take those vows massively seriously then, did he? No, he didn't. It's always convenient when Daniel... But then again, tilt the same. You know, sometimes they lose people. Next thing you know, next episode, well, hey, hang on a minute. So you're supposed to be in mourning. Huh? What? Oh, yes, married wife. Gold. <laughs> We're back in the forest. Ryak is burning up with a fever. He is definitely dying. The Lemsip did not work. It did not work at all, no. Thought there'd be stronger antibiotics that Jack was carrying in his pack. Either way, for plot point, Ryak's got to die, you know. Unless we can find something in the immediate vicinity that will completely heal him. Hmm. Yes, just wait a minute while I'll whip this out. At which point you just want everyone to go, Braytac, you're old. You've <laughs> yeah. had a good innings. Sacrifice yourself to save my son. Braytac, where are you going? Braytac? <laughs> get, get back here, old man. <laughs> and I like this. Drayak says, it's the father's right. So does that mean even Apophis at some point says, I will not object if a Jafar warrior gives his symbiote to save his child? Do you think that's a concession on his part? To show 
to manipulate the people? I would think probably because you're going to have to occasionally show a little bit of the old benevolence. You might lose a warrior in his prime, but... You're going to go and start worshipping at the Temple of Heriwera if you're just going to be a complete old the whole time. <laughs> that is a good point, yeah. <laughs> of course, they will quickly realise that Heriwera is just as much of a knob, if not more than a prophet. Yeah. They haven't really got much choice, unfortunately. Maybe we could go and worship Hathor. Yeah, at least she has good parties. And also, completely aside, I love the em- I love the way everyone pronounces Hathor in that, with extreme emphasis on the whore part. <laughs> it's always Hathor. Well, that's what happens when you're a goddess of fertility. It's when Daniel rattles off and Jack's just like, sex, drugs and rock and roll. And Jackson's like, <laughs> yeah, basically, yes. You know, of all of the options, you're going to put your mark against which one you're going to worship. Well, let's have a look. This one's Satan. Ooh, sex, drugs and rock and roll. Well, I like two of those. <laughs> what did puzzle me, though, was where did Riot Pouch come from? Had the priest already created it? I'm guessing the priest had already started. Yeah, the only explanation I can think of. You know, made the, uh, the ritualistic incision, incisions and whatever they use to make sure it doesn't, well, I suppose, the, once you implant a symbiote, that automatically repairs any damage anyway. Yet somehow the pouch never heals up. Yeah. But then again, that might have something to do with the fact they're continually opening the pouch to pull the damn snake out for one reason or another. Yeah, just to see if it's still there. I think it's there, but I'm not sure. Do you think the symbiote's like, oh, for God's sake, I can only do so much. <laughs> Put me back, it's cold. I like it. <laughs> uh, right, Sam and Daniel are making the way back. One of the great lines, do these things need to be fed? I love the idea that there's an outtake where Shanks looks at the flask, looks at whatever he's eating, just goes, drop that in there. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't like energy bars. Mind you, I was like in, um, oh, season two one where Tilt's being turned into the bug. Bane. Bane, yeah, when they're trying to keep the symbiote alive and it's failing miserably. And O'Neill being O'Neill's just like, too bad you can't just zap it like they do in ER. <laughs> yeah. And they sort of Carter and Fraser sort of look at each other. Uh-huh. And O'Neill's like, what? Isn't that pretty much the same solution for when Ryak got that thing inside him? Let's just zap him. Yes, we need to deprogram him. Now, normally we would do this under controlled conditions as painlessly as possible. However, if you want to walk into his room and shoot your own son with a Zat Nicotel, go for it, that works too. Sweet, know what I'm doing. That's one of the beauties of Jack's character, though. He is an intelligent man, but he's, you know his intelligence is in a very specific area. Mm. But the writers have always kept him involved by coming up with these very unusual observations that always give Samantha or maybe Janet that little bing, little light bulb moment. Not quite at the 38th minute as in every episode of House, but close. Yeah, after a while that kind of got, you're, sort of, you're thinking, well, if I might as well just go to like the last five minutes of House, because that's going to be where one of them gives him his inspiration and he'll either save the day or it'll be too late. Either way, he's going to be grumpy. I re-watched all eight seasons earlier this year. I loved it, but it did get a little repetitive. It went off the rails for me... I think from season six onwards. I think five seasons is sort of your optimal runtime for a show. Especially when they were four to kind of replace replace everybody except House. Mm. Somehow still have them hanging around. Yeah. Back to the woods. Sam and Daniel are under fire from uh, some Jafar. Obviously the guards that were supposed to be on duty. Probably. They've just come back from the tea break and realise, hey, oh, we're in trouble here. Hang on. Wasn't that in one piece when we left? <laughs> When you watching this? No, I thought you were. Damn. We're going to be killed, aren't we? Maybe if we catch whoever did it... That's it. Offer them up. Apophis will only kill half of us. Yep. Unfortunately, as we learn, at least early on in the show, the Jafar are not fully aware of explosive grenade-shaped objects. They have grenade-shaped objects, but they don't really explode as such. Yeah, their grenades a little bit different to our grenades. Yes. They were expecting just to go to sleep for five minutes, but no, they got blown to bits. Well done, Sam. You might not want to wake up after that. And also, again, though, genius moment of Amanda tapping that actual sort of look on her face, whereas Carter, she realises, they're way too close for this grenade, so this could be really unpleasant. (laughs) (laughs) One of the great things, I I was going to say, one of the great things about Stargate is their use of practical effects, armourers to give them real guns, shooting blanks. The explosions they did were fantastic. This one, yeah, they had a nice little air gun to shoot debris, but the explosion itself wasn't very good and looked incredibly fake. Yeah. Perhaps because they were that close. Mm. 
give them an extra 50 feet, they'd have probably leveled half the forest. Mind you, I think attention to detail and prop realism actually hurt them at one point. I think the commentary, I think, on Avenger, because it's at that weird point in season seven where Carter's got that gun that she's never used before. Oh, yeah. And doesn't actually look like a real gun, because at this point they'd all switched to the P90s, but then the Iraq war happened. And obviously they're not running around with real guns, but I think the ammunition or something was real. Yeah, they couldn't get... Yeah. So they had to limit it. So O'Neill can still have his P90. Everyone else, though, we kind of need to do a workaround. Yeah, they just got different parts of guns and slapped them together until it looked reasonably real. Do you think the person that came up with that idea had just been watching way too many episodes of Power Rangers? And they just thought, look, if we put this part of this gun, connect it up with that, and then put that, it'll work. Super gun. It'll look ridiculous, but, you know, it's not like our fans notice these things. Yeah, you go say the barrel's made, you know, 9mm, and the actual magazine is 7.62. Don't worry about it. It'll work. It's fine. No one will care about this. No. Who's going to be worrying about these sort of details? Nobody. <laughs> right, meanwhile, back in the forest with Tilk and Co, the symbiote is strong. It uh, looks like it, it should do the job for Ryak, given enough time. Tilk, maybe not so much. He's got a couple of hours of life left in him. Fortunately, Sam and Daniel turn up. And what do they have? Incredible, isn't it? I love it. It's like, you know, Tilk gave up his worm to save the kid. Daniel was like, we have one. Quite literally, here's one I made earlier. Yeah, and Braytek and Dreyak, the reaction from them that they've stolen a symbiote. And desecrated the Holy Temple. I know. Yeah, What's wrong with you people? Braytek, you know it's only a creature. We desecrated the temple to the false gods. I just sat there amazed. I mean, okay, Dreyak maybe, because she's still a believer. I don't believe she is totally in the camp of totally false gods. I think that's the thing, is that you're never quite sure what her viewpoint is on it. You know, it might be that in their culture, we know there are, we know now there are female Jafar warriors, but not under every system lord. Maybe under Apophis, the women are pretty much, you know, the wives. You stay at home, you look after the family, you raise the next generation of warriors. She might be totally indoctrinated. Mm. Love for Till is just keeping her on the edge, accepting some of the things he does. So her reaction, okay, I can believe it. Braytax, that seemed totally out of place. But anything Braytax does, fine by me. True. <laughs> at this point, though, we uh, get more alarms going off. The horns are blowing like crazy. There are Jafar warriors out here blowing into them and thinking there must be an easier way to do this. Couldn't we build a machine or something to do this? No. When we're on the Hatak and the alarm goes off, this isn't a bloke blowing into a bugle. We've got sound systems for it and everything. The thing is, though, it's not, you know, it is kind of the equivalent of, oh dear, somebody's boarded the ship. So let's push the big intruder alert button that will alert everybody to the intruder's presence and thus also inform the intruder that we know he's there. Yeah. Maybe we need some kind of subtle alarm system that will warn the people that need to know, but maybe not tip off the intruder that they've been rumbled. Yeah. It's like, you know, patrol cars going to the scene of a crime. Turn off the, your sirens before you get to a point where they can hear you coming, and then we can surprise them. Maybe turn off flashing lights as well, just in case one of them is passing by a window. Although I would say, if you are going to go with the horn effect, you might need to find a different sound. That one doesn't inspire fear. It does travel well. That's true. <laughs> it does carry. If you want a horn sound that is guaranteed to scare the frack out of people that hear it, might I suggest the goblin horn from Nightmare? What's that? Look up late 80s, 90s kids game show. It's really, really early effort uh, sort of virtual reality. Yeah. Which, for a Friday night kids show, not bad. Okay. Quickly. Keep going. I think it's from like the third series onwards. They sort of have, you know, every so often, oh, you know, goblins are on a tail, which would be announced by a horn effect, which to this day, 20 odd years down the line, scares the shit out of anybody that watched it. <laughs> right, at this point, Ryak awakes. We get a nice father-son moment. The day will come when we'll fight side by side in battle. That's what every father hopes for his son, that in 20 odd years they're still fighting. <laughs> I think that's, well, that's the other thing, isn't it? We kind of glossed over it, but Dreyak told Ryak that Kilk was dead. That's harsh. Uh, I don't know. And but I mean, you, you kind of get the theory, but at the same time, you're kind of assuming that Ryak is really dense. At some point, somebody is going to say, hey, weren't you the son of so-and-so? Not just that, though, because you think, OK, because he has to know that Daddy was first primed to Apophis. Yeah, we had a nice house. So Dad dies, and Apophis 
burns down our house and makes us live in slave camps. Are these things connected? Surely Dad dies, people should be outside mourning and praising, oh, the first Prime is dead, woe is me. I mean, I know Ryak is not the sharpest tack in the box. Kind of a pain in the ass, actually, but that's by the by. <laughs> oh, it gets worse. Annoying in his next one, but that kind of makes sense because that's when he's been brainwashed. The Redemption 2 parter, I was willing for Tilk to start fighting back because Ryak would be squashed. And the dynamics of family, always entertaining. And I kind of like it in the episode where he's getting married to one of the Haptil. Oh, he was biting off more than he could chew with air. If only then, because <laughs> you've got that wonderful moment when it's all going to crap and exasperated Braytac just starts drinking the ceremonial wine. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, I can't say. Yeah, marrying the Haptil. Ooh, Ryak, are you sure? Because <laughs> it isn't up to me. <laughs> you know that you are never, ever going to win an argument. Ever. They make their way to the Stargate. Tilk has made his farewell to his wife and his son. They seem to be parting on reasonably good terms, although not much affection being shown. You know, maybe they did that off camera. Well, I was say, Drought's still very much in that. You saved his life. I appreciate that. We're still living in the bloody slave camp, and that's your fault. I haven't forgotten that. Yeah, and if anybody puts two and two together, they'll realise that you came back for your son and for me. And another half-dozen Jafar are dead. Thank you very much. And now I need to try and explain why the priest is dead and why there's (laughs) an almost ripped-in-half Goa'uld on the floor. Maybe the priest was doing it on the side and he didn't tell anybody. And why Ryak, who was, you know, at death's door, is now all of a sudden fit and healthy and annoying again. It's a miracle. Bless Apophis. Praise Apophis! (laughs) That could be it, you know. Sing your God's praises, you know, you'll probably forgive it. You fake it with the best of them. So they're walking back to the gate. That priest is still there with his guards. Braytac goes up to him. Uh, we're going to take these take these people back. Oh, you can't go through. you got to wait for the local guard or something to give the go-ahead. Not a problem. We will wait. And then you see what a Jafar warrior can do. And you can see what staff weapon is capable of doing. It was inspiring. 133 years old, in Braytac's case, just means 100 and odd years of kicking ass. And he was wearing a cloak. Yes. How difficult is it to fight in a cloak? Personally, I haven't tried it. I'd be forever so trying not to trip over the damn thing walking. I'd therefore assume fighting in it infinitely harder. Yeah, invincible, isn't it? You never, never. The Incredibles. Never used... No the Incredibles, capes. that's it. Capes, yeah. Spins around, the cloak billows out, the staff weapon goes on kind of automatic fire. Fires about five or six pulses straight in. Bang, 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 bang. Which, oddly enough, we have never seen a staff weapon do since. I wonder if that's his own custom-made weapon. You know, all these years he's, he's figured out a way to actually... A faster recharge cycle or something like that. But it gets a distraction, huge amount of smoke. It gets him close in. Swing, swing, bang, bang, thud, thud. <laughs> and then Braytac is just standing there alone. Okay, then. <laughs> Next. And it was the movie music. Yeah. What a callback. It suited that scene right down to the ground. It was fantastic. See, I do like the fact that the show never bothered to rep on the movie. No, they didn't. Yeah, you know, some little things might get sort of amended here and there. Like, I do dimly recall in the movie, the Stargate actually took you out of the galaxy. Yeah, yes. I think the TV show realised that doesn't make any sense. Otherwise, if it's in the movie, it's still canon. Even though the movie says, you know, Ra was the last of his kind. Maybe as far as Ra knew, he was the last of his kind. Only afterwards he realised there were more of him. Yeah, maybe Ra at the time thought he was. Therefore, yeah. when he's picking up his legend, he will say, I am the I am the last. He's not going to say, I'm the last. A lot more of my kind out there. Some are better looking than me. Some have got more money. No, don't mind. Keep worshipping me. Worship me for I am... Well, I'm me. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> or do you think it's like a Doctor Who last of the Time Lords kind of deal? I am the last one. Apart from all the ones I thought I killed that are off in a parallel universe or alternate dimension or pocket <laughs> universe, whatever the hell it is. Yeah, things get complicated then, don't they? I do like the way they did manage to sort of tweak that one in. That, yeah, you didn't actually kill them all, but you will think you did. Therefore, we're not going to completely wipe out everything that Christopher Eccleston and David Tennant did before you. It was creative writing at its best, especially when, you know, your audience will jump on anything that doesn't quite fit. Yes. Which basically sums up most sci-fi fans. Science fiction fans are fickle. (laughs) They will love a show, 
they will rip it to pieces at the same time. But then if they see a non-fan ripping it to pieces, they will fall on that person like wolves. It's bizarre. We also get a small callback here with Braytac throwing back the line. I will cross that bridge when I come to it. It makes you wonder exactly. Do you think he was just playing around with Jack to begin with? Was he more familiar with the language than he was letting on? Or is he just that quick, caught up with idiom and everything? I think he's just caught up. I think the first one was a genuine, no, he thought O'Neill was talking about actually taking a bridge. But I think afterwards he's like, okay, with it now. Thought about what you said. Makes sense. And we get the final goodbye. Tilt, Jack, Daniel and Sam are standing at the gate. They actually salute Braytac. He gives them the kind of the warrior salute, weapon in hand raised above his head. Again, a bit like Kasuf from the movie as well. I'm about to say as well, isn't it? Sort of Jack and Sam are saluted. Braytac has basically gone, woohoo! Yeah. Oh, if he jumped up in the air in a freeze frame. Okay, that'd be a little bit. Maybe if they'd made it in the 80s. Yeah. One thing that I did wonder after the fact, at this point, nobody really knows what Braytac has been up to. The only people that do are the guards and the priest at the gate. Now, we've seen nothing to indicate they are all dead. Injured, maybe, but maybe not all dead. Do you think Braytac would kill those cover his tracks? I'm leaning towards not. Because when they, when he meets up with them in the cell in on Apophis's ship, there's the line he says, you know, do you realise what I had to do to get back in favour to be in this campaign? Yeah. Kind of makes me think he left them alive and they ratted him out. I can't imagine if Apophis suspected him of acting against him, he would be alive. I don't think there is any coming back, getting into favour. Failure to protect or capture, yes, that would demote him. But I don't think he can leave any witnesses. If he says, I got there too late, they were all dead. I'm sorry, my lord, I failed you. And Apophis, you know, get out of my sight. I'll call for you when I want you. You know, you're too important to kill. Get back to training the other lads. If surely if Apophis knew he'd raised a weapon against his other Jafar, then he'd have been executed on the spot. Unless, bearing in mind that Braytac was on Chlorel's ship, unless he sucked up Chlorel, and Chlorel was like, damn, come on. Yeah, he made a mistake, but... He's my puppy. He's the best one we've got. He's like, yeah, he's getting on a bit, but have you seen him kick ass? <laughs> you know, if we're serious about squashing this little planet, four of them seem, well, no, technically three of them manage to kick our asses every time they meet us. Yeah, and there's six billion of them on that planet. God help us. Yeah, do you think maybe, <laughs> yeah, he helped Teal out a little bit. Do you not think maybe we need all the help we can get? Because I'm not being funny. Quite a lot of our Jafar. Can't shoot straight. Can't shoot straight. I'll tell you that for, you that for sure. I mean, come on. <laughs> look at those ones that you hired to burn down Teal's house. How much of that damn thing was still standing? Am I right? <laughs> Good point, yeah. And at that, the episode closes as they walk through the gate. And Bloodline is finished. Season 1 really did like ending episodes with them walking through the gate, didn't they? Well, it did make up for many episodes where they never went through the gate. We've got this footage. Use it. Spread it around. We've got an offensive special effect. Yeah, every time it's used, the per-episode value goes down. It makes the accountants happy. Do we think that's why season two's finale was actually a clip show? Oh, definitely. Which I hate. I don't mind clip shows if they're done well. I think it's more the fact that season finale is a clip show. Uh, yeah, well. That's a little bit jarring. Clip show done right, like, for example, politics and Kinsey, that worked. Because that made sense. You know, we're going over the report of the mission. Boom. Show it. Season finale is a clip show? Probably was right down to budget. TNG... I didn't excuse, there was a writer's strike. That's why they got their clip show finale. I'd forgotten about Shades of Grey. Most people like to forget about Shades of Grey, but at least they've got an excuse. You know what really galls me about Shades of Grey? What? The fact is Pulaski's last episode. Oh, she don't get a real send-off. No. Q season three, she's out, crushes in, no mention. I'll tell you what, if Pulaski had stayed, the writers would have done more with their character than they ever did with Crusher. Oh, definitely. See, Pulaski's one of those... Pulaski used to really bug me. But when I was doing my last Next Gen rewatch, I sat there and I thought, actually, you know what? Pulaski is awesome. She is basically Bones. Yeah. Right down to that she doesn't like the transporters. They introduced a character that was going to shake things up, was going to get on people's nerves, going to be totally different from the rather bland TNG set of characters, at least early on. And unfortunately, a lot of the fan base didn't like that. Mm. 
that was bloodlines everyone i hope you enjoyed the conversation it probably went on a bit longer than uh, i had anticipated but since i also listened to tim's podcast uncharted territories i should be prepared for two-hour discussion on a 40-minute episode <laughs> digression is my middle name exactly you want to give us a bit of information on your various podcasting endeavors tim okay you can find me as aforementioned by Mike with Uncharted Territories, which I record with Stacey, which you can find us on Twitter at UT underscore podcast. And you can also find me on the very different Partial Nerdity podcast. Very different. That's about the best way you can describe it. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little more adult themed and irreverent. Ooh, irreverent. I like that. So much better than childish. Until you've heard Blockbusters played on a podcast. That's probably my favourite segment of recent weeks. Well, you know what it was? The plan was originally I was going to put an episode together that was comprised entirely of game shows. Yeah. Instantly fell into the stumbling block that most of that is going to require fairly hefty visual component for the audience. Hale was on and streaming it on Twitch. Twitch viewers would be fine. Everyone listening after the fact might be screwed. Yeah. And to be honest, Blockbusters probably does not work fantastically well for anyone else that's not us, but <laughs> much fun doing it. Which really on Partial Nerdity, as long as we're having fun, that's pretty much all we care about. So you can find me, you can find that one on Twitter at Partial underscore Nerdity. And obviously there'll be links to Podbean pages there. Excellent. I will also include links to the various websites in the show notes. Okay then, folks, that was Bloodlines. Thank you very much for joining us for this discussion. Next episode, if everything goes according to plan, will be Fire and Water, and I should be joined by Ian for that. Come try ya! As always, we'd love to get a few new guests on the show. If you want to join me for a look at SG1 or any episode of Stargate, feel free to get in touch. Our website is stargatearchives.com. Our email address stargatearchives at gmail.com we are on facebook and google plus search for stargate or gatecast we are also on twitter at the gatecast an itunes review or rating for stargate archives would be most appreciated but apart from that keep listening and enjoy tim thank you very much for joining me pleasure until next week i've been mike i'm tim take care bye bye bye